From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Kahn with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I've once heard courage described as accepting some potential pain despite not having all the information. Today on episode 54 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Ann Loudon. As someone who meticulously and methodically plans and focuses on process, Anne describes the courage it took for her to upend her life as a nonprofit executive in Texas and start her new life as a solopreneur in New York. It's a compelling story of how one can take advantage of unexpected opportunities. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, let's welcome Ann Loudon. Ann is the founder and CEO of the Ann Loudon Company, following three decades in Texas as a senior administrator in higher education. Leading efforts to raise more than $150 million, Ann's expertise in nonprofit philanthropy enabled her recent move to New York City. A consultant and speaker, Ann is the author of the upcoming book, Connection as a Superpower, How Social Courage Gives You the Edge in Life and Love. And welcome to the show. David, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. So, Anne, you've had some significant transitions in your life, including your move from Dallas to New York City and going from employee to consultant. Absolutely. It's an interesting transition when you change what you think is your life's path working for a company, in my case, higher ed is being my employer, for all the balance of my life and then becoming a solo entrepreneur and really not having the colleagues or the environment that you're used to having and making that adjustment. And in addition to that move from the corporate environment to the solo practitioner environment was a lifestyle change that was significantly huge. I can't think of anything more jolting really than moving from conservative Texas to diverse New York City. Uh, Well said. So what was behind all of that? Well, as I mentioned, I had been employed all my life in higher ed and in the setting where you think of people who have sort of the lifetime loyalty to an organization, I really didn't think I would ever, I thought I would retire at the university where I was. And then my life circumstances changed. I had uh, been married for many years to someone who was also very significantly involved on the board of the university. And when we divorced four years ago, my relationships shifted and they shifted in a way that felt uncomfortable to me. There wasn't an order or an edict for me to exit the position that I held, but because I was reporting to the person who ran the institution and he as a board member in many ways supervised the activities of the head of the institution, it changed the dynamic altogether. And so I began to think about my own credibility, not in terms of my work performance, but in terms of my my ability to navigate and to live in that world and a place in a community I was also very significantly involved and thought I probably ought to consider moving somewhere else, going somewhere else, taking these skills that I've had in place and, and utilized what I – and I thought it, in many ways uh, at the top of my game – 
in Texas and in essence begin thinking about starting over in a new community. So I I looked at urban settings that were, I always wanted to live in the Eastern time zone and I had grown up in Tennessee, so that was still central time. And I thought if I can get to that 11 o'clock news area, then that would make me happiest because I'm a night owl. So I seriously looked at Washington, D.C., looked at uh, New York City, Boston, but New York is, as you know, being a resident of New York is the most attractive place to be in terms of diversity and uh, opportunity and the sense of energy and the vibrancy of the community. And so that's where I set my sights. And then I had to figure out what the heck was I going to do? How was I going to be gainfully employed in what I think is the most extensive city in America? Do you think that's the case? I don't know. Probably depends on on how you actually calculate the most expensive place to live, but um, it's certainly way more expensive than most other parts of America. Absolutely. I could have gone to San Francisco and probably said the same thing. But in terms of the Northeast, and that was where I wanted to be, New York City was, uh, for my colleagues and friends, uh, you've got to be kidding me decision. You're really going to do that? And I was doing it alone as a single person and at a time in my life where I'd had a full career and people couldn't imagine uprooting themselves, even in the case of my divorce that had a spotlight on it, they would have probably found another way. I've always liked doing the difficult things. And so this seemed to fit that category. And what happened for me was that I ended up creating or having created, I was the influence behind the creation, two consulting positions that gave me the ticket to get here and live here. And it was a very complicated story. My becoming a solo entrepreneur really resulted in the first opportunity which I thought was a salaried position with a company, with a nonprofit, turning into a contract opportunity only. And that's how I started my company. As I was negotiating with them about this opportunity, they wanted me to represent them here in New York City. Uh, first, there was a salary offer, and then there was a salary, then that offer was taken away with the proviso that if I created my own company, then I could be a 1099 employee and that would work better for them. So that's how I got into it. I can't tell you that I thought about leaving the corporate world and saying to myself, oh, I'd like to be a solo practitioner. It was this chance to do it that came with essentially a job offer that switched gears for me. And so uh, there was a lot to adjust to. Well, and you've mentioned a couple things that I see as being quite common among high achievers in the second half of their career. One is that a major transition often occurs for reasons other than performance. And the second being that even when there are plans to move in a particular direction during a transition, unexpected opportunities often emerge that lead to a result that's slightly different than what one had originally planned. Uh, you couldn't have said it better. Honestly, my initial plans were to take the skill set that I had, come to New York City, interview for this, a similar kind of position that I held in Texas, and do it in a different place. That was really what I thought was going to happen. And I 
as I'm sure many of your listeners have gone through the same thing. So you start that, you go down that path. I came to New York City a couple of times and met with the right people and, and got myself in front of executive search firms. And while that was ongoing, at the same time, these other conversations were beginning. And that moment in time, I'll always remember where I was when it hit me that I could create my own company and earn the income that I needed to have to live in New York and that I wouldn't be working again for an organization. And it was an epiphany in a way. It felt scary as hell and it also felt freeing. And it's when you're, tra- and you're trying to jockey with those emotional thoughts that are oppositional and try to figure out which one makes you feel better. But there is that emotional reaction to this awareness that you've developed from circumstances that you didn't, as you say, you know, you didn't think were going to be the circumstances that you now were were experiencing. And all of a sudden, here you are and you say, okay, all right, I'm going to do this. And you do it without necessarily having the preparation to know what this, the it that you're doing will mean. Right. Or even to have the the capacity to really think through the risk that you're dealing with appropriately. No question. The, the time frame for me was that in June of 16, so this is, I can't believe that it's been that long, but uh, in June of 16 was when it became clear to me that I should take the opportunity to leave. By December 1 of 16, I had two opportunities that were going to be a full-time consulting arrangement. I'd gotten the LLC for my company. I had figured out where I was going to live. I'd figured out where I was going to, how much time I needed to wrap up the current position that I had and how I was going to get out of there. So from between June 1 of 16 and March 8th of 17 was my transition. But there were there were many, many days in that period of seven months when I knew nothing. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I didn't know who my colleagues were going to be in this journey that I had because I was really taking off solo. And amazing things happened. There's just one story that I, I'm writing this book about connectors, as you mentioned a moment ago. And there's a story that I think illustrates both the grace that happened to to me and for me and just sheer good luck. I had have always maintained long-term relationships and I think connectors who have the ability to, to invest in relationships that aren't just transactional really benefit not just themselves but the people that they're relating to. Years before, I had become friends with a faculty member in the business school of the university where I was and she had left for is 14 years and gone on to three other positions around the country. And she had become president of a private university in the New York area the year before my move. I had attended her inauguration. I'd kept in touch with her. And so when that first offer came through that I described where first was offered a salary and then that was taken back and then I was told, start your own company and we'll We'll hire you on on as a contract employee, but it was only half of what it would take me to live in New York. In fact, I didn't even know 
what it would take me to live in New York, but they'd given me a number and I thought, okay, this is half. Maybe I can go to New York and get the other half. So I'd come to New York and had seen 18 people in the space of a week. Remember, I mentioned the June 1 through March. This was in at the end of October. And at that time, I really had conversations with the first group happening, an offer of a contract that was four, four weeks to make a decision. And if I didn't take it, the contract offer would be rejected and wouldn't be given anybody else because essentially we're saying we want you to do this. If you don't want to do it, then we won't offer. We won't. We just won't go forward with this step. So I have half. And I'm in New York, and the last visit that I have, social visit, is with this woman that I described, the faculty member, and I'm going to her house for a drink with her and her husband in her new presidential home, and I go with a friend that. I knew from another relationship here in the mayor's office in in New York City, and they were neighbors, so I wanted to introduce the two of them to each other. We had this wonderful conversation, drinks hors d'oeuvres, we're standing at the front door, and my friend, the president of the university, says to me, so are you coming to New York? And I said, well, I've actually got half of an offer, and I need to find another half, but yes, I plan to get here. I've just got to figure out what I'm going to do. She said, you mean you have half your life free? And I said, well, in theory, I do. And she said, you know, I had an obligation this evening, but I'm going to cancel it right now. And I want you to come back inside and we need to talk. In 90 minutes, she had offered me a, she created a position for me, which is assistant to the president. It was a administrative post managing a division of the university. And she had offered to, or she had said she was going to let two people go in order to give me this division to run. Now, none of that would have happened. And she said, also, I know you want to live in Manhattan, but I've got a house that's in this area that the university owns. I'll put you in the house and you can move in here. So that's how my first entree to New York happened. And it was through these relationships that I held that gave me the opportunity to take advantage of this really hairy, scary move. Right. Which which was another unexpected opportunity. It was. Absolutely. And and I didn't think a lot about, although I'm very much a process person, very much a planner, I didn't think a lot about the risk. I thought about the opportunity. I knew there were risks associated with each each consulting position that I had, but I also knew that those taking those risks would get me to New York, and that's where I wanted to be. And so it it worked. And it was really because of the relationships that I was able to leverage the opportunity. So, Anne, as a process person and as a planner, particularly at a time of life when things tend to move more linearly for a lot of people, how did you cope with the emotional reaction you had to the uncertainty and all of these unexpected things that were in front of you and or occurring? One of the ways I did that, and thank you for saying that I did, I, I do believe that I stayed calm through that process, was that I developed every relationship that I already had in New York as a sounding board for moving forward. And I had had relationships, friends here and professional colleagues and others that got introduced to me or I to them over the transom as I was making the move. And each conversation gave me another piece of the puzzle to put together so that I could see what that landscape would be like. It took 
coming to New York to figure it out. But it was a great comfort to me to be able to invest myself in these new relationships as I was going forward. So that was it. I I once heard courage described as accepting some potential pain despite not having all the information. So it's basically sort of a temporal, it's a temporal kind of confidence. You're confident to the point that you're going to be willing to take some disappointment and take some setback knowing that the end result is, is likely to be what you want if you apply those planning tactics that you described earlier to it. So I, th- I think it was building out my set of relationships that gave me the ability to see how precise I needed to be in getting the plan done. And there were a lot of things that that happened that were crazy or funny or silly that were not part of the plan. I couldn't have even anticipated what they were. And they managed to get executed because somehow I developed a relationship with somebody who was willing to partner with me on it, on that adventure, whatever it was, be it small or big. So I think I also, once I made the decisions, I just didn't look back. I don't look at my life as a series of regrets. I look at my life as a series of lessons learned. And so I didn't allow myself to go there. I didn't do the, well, what if I had done this? Or what if I, it just was move forward. Also, I love the way you described courage as the ability to put together the pieces of your life's puzzles. Well, we all wish we could see the, well, maybe we don't. I've done 23 and me, but I didn't do the health section because I didn't really want to know what, what, what it might tell me, because I think that would just set up fear as opposed to, I'm very proactive anyway. So I don't think I would be going to see more doctors if I knew what 23 and me told me my health story looked like. But I do think most of us wish for clarity about our future to the extent that it allows us not to make dumb mistakes. And I don't think I had a whole lot of clarity coming to New York, honestly. I didn't even know how bad the winters were going to be. I knew I'd been here many times as a tourist, and my daughter went to boarding school outside of New York, so I was here to see her in terrible weather. But it's way different when you go back to Texas, and you don't have to have the wardrobe or the coats or the scarves or whatever it is that that you you knew you had to have all along. And I've learned a lot about just being in it to experience it, you know, being on mass transit and understanding what it's like to stand on a street corner and hear seven or eight different languages and know that you're just one tiny speck in this giant array of diversity that comes together in the form of this this powerful city. It is so true. They look at this one one zip code in Queens has something like 150 languages. Oh, it's mind boggling. And we could spend all day talking about the impact of that and the pandemic now and, and what's happened in our lives in this very vertical city. But it is absolutely tantalizing to come here from living what is a suburban lifestyle and at a different pace and having it all thrown at you at one time. Right. And now reflecting back on this transition that you went through like three to four years ago, how has it been since? Well, let's leave the pandemic out of it because I think that changes, that colors everything. But I would say that I have reveled in 
the experience of being in a brand new place with every single day being different than the day that I had in my old habitat. I said after about 18 months here to my Texas associates, can you imagine a life where 95% of the daily interactions that you have, be it with someone on the street, an email, a telephone call, a text, uh, a conversation, is with with people that you didn't know a year ago. 95% of what you do is brand new at this point in your life. Can you imagine that? Because we do become creatures of habit and we have to establish some, some routine for ourselves, whether we're solo entrepreneurs or we're working in an organization, we all survive in that way. Some people are much more routinized than others, but the way to acclimate to an environment is to create a routine. And when you when you do that, you kind of overlay this pattern of existence on a new place, whatever that routine is, whatever the normalcy of your days becomes, it is established by contact with others. So my new routine, whether it was saying hello to my doorman or talking to the dry cleaners or figuring out that I could go buy fruit on a street corner, which you cannot do in Texas, or taking myself to a Broadway show, any of those things and so much more became my the new order of the day for me. And that was all, 95% of it was people I hadn't known the year before. I was going to say, for somebody who is a, a process person and a planner, all of these new things basically taking over your life is a big change. It is a big change. But I again, back to the no regrets attitude, I do feel the joy of having these be new experiences. Like I felt all along like this has been a gift to me that I've been able to feel this exhilarating environment when I could have stayed where I was and felt it would have been stultifying for me because I'm always about grabbing that next challenge and making something happen with it. And I I knew instinctively that had I stayed, even though I could have kept my job and kept my old circle, that circle would have shifted and I would have been less of who I think I can be in that environment. So, yeah. And and now as a business owner, how do you feel about what you've achieved so far? I feel good about it. I feel I've made inroads in the community and boy, what a big community to be inroaded in. That's not a correct verb. I feel like I've developed my brand and that took some thinking about and doing because it was a reflection of who I was before and who I needed to shift, what I needed to shift to be. I also have felt great about throwing myself into new professional circles. I've, I've loved all that. And as a single person, it's been hilariously fun to be in a world where you meet new people and socially. That's not something I was even, I'd been married for 24 years. That was not something, the whole dating world and all of it, uh, that I even thought I would partake in. And it's, every day has been more new experiences than I could have imagined a month would have been when I lived in Texas. Wow. And in your business, Anne, whom do you serve? Who's your who's your target? Well, non nonprofits, that's my world, but my target really would be nonprofit executives who need to define a plan, create a structure, motivate volunteers, assess 
the efficacy of creating a fundraising effort for a particular cause, uh, being able to interpret a mission, all of the decision makers in a nonprofit environment, be they volunteers, board members, or administrative executive staff would be my target market. Mm-hmm. And is, is there anything particular about the, either the maturity of the organization or the size of the organization? I think that New York is the highest level of playing field and the biggest, most established nonprofit organizations are ones that I am probably less valuable to because they have their own enormous uh, circle of support and constituents, et cetera. I think I'm most helpful to those that are beginning startups, uh, midsize, who don't have all the answers. And if um, someone wants to get in touch with you, either to learn more about what we've discussed with regard to your transition or get in touch with you about the work that you do in your business, where's the best place for them to go? Best place is my website, which is www.annloudon.com. A-N-N-L-O-U-D-E-N.com. And there is a contact me page there. And I also offer telephone conversations to help people sort out what their needs might be. So that's the easiest. Great. Well, Anne, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on Going Solo, share your story about your transition and talk a little bit about what you do now professionally. My guest today has been the CEO of the Ann Loudon Company. Ann Loudon, thank you again, Ann, for joining us. You're welcome, David. Thank you. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned the importance of having your own board of advisors and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.